Hallelujah. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I just I just have to say again, if we can give one more hand to the Resurrection Dance Ministry and all the uh, army of volunteers they pulled together for that um, that program last night. It was it was just I was back there thinking this is just something. I, I mean, there's there's really nothing quite like it, and um, and and it's always been one of my favorite things uh, that we do. But um, I don't know. This year is it was uh, I don't for some reason a little more poignant to me. I don't really know why, but 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 what an awesome awesome thing. Well, praise the Lord. Um, well, uh, this morning uh, is the next to the last Sunday in the Advent season. We're now more than halfway through our Advent devotions in my house. We have more doors open than closed on our family Advent uh, calendar. Um, Noah, in my house especially, enjoys devotions in the Advent season because at the end of the devotion, you get to open a door and pull a treat out of the, uh, out of the box, and so that makes him extra spiritual this time of year. Um, <laughs> Dad, are we doing devotions? When are we doing devotions? And I figure he's just looking for um, candy. Um, it's a classic Advent tradition and honestly a really fitting Advent image because the truth is Advent really is a season of anticipation and excitement, a season of looking ahead, a season of looking forward, uh, certainly uh, in part to the celebration of Christmas, the time we commemorate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a huge part of the anticipation of Advent for children, certainly, but in greater and more consequential part, uh, it's about the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes to bring with him the fullness of the kingdom of God. Advent reminds you to look up for your salvation, for your redemption is drawing nigh. Advent says, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Advent reminds you, now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. And Advent calls you to look around and encourage one another with these words. For the follower of Jesus, nothing could be more appropriate than a heart filled with eagerness and anticipation. And Advent is intentionally designed to stir up those emotions inside of you. It's a season packed with simple, practical, tangible reminders that the time is drawing closer. The time is drawing near. From Advent calendars like that, when our children were in preschool, they would build these you know, Advent chains. You ever make those paper chains? You rip off a piece every day. It gets a little closer and closer to the deep, almost mournful longing of O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O Lord, and ransom us. O come, O Lord, and set us free. But the truth is anticipation means waiting. And waiting can be really hard. Waiting can test your resolve. Waiting can test your faith. And the season of Advent challenges you to make sure you are waiting well. That's what I want to talk to you about very briefly this morning. Uh, just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? We're going to read the first three verses from last week's gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I'll read the plain text if you'll join me. Read the highlighted portions. That way we'll walk through the passage together. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. 
Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. As I mentioned last week, in many ways, John the Baptist is more or less the quintessential Advent figure, forerunner of the coming Messiah, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's life and message were simple and consistent. Jesus is coming, get ready. The Lord is coming, get ready. You need to be ready yourself, and you need to help other people get ready too. Before the birth of John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel appeared to his father, talked to him a little bit about what John was going to do, a little bit about John's calling, specifically his calling to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And if you don't hear anything else I, hear th- I say this morning, I pray that you hear this. This is now your calling. This is now your calling as a follower of Jesus. Ever since Jesus came into the world and gave that commission to his disciples to go and make disciples in his name, you and I have been commissioned to be an Advent people. You and I are sent to the world like modern-day John the Baptists, having been saved and transformed by the first coming of Jesus as we look forward to the second coming of Jesus right now in the meantime. You've been commissioned to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To go and make disciples. Like John the Baptist, you've been sent to tell people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn whole heartedly to God, the kingdom of God is on its way. Turn to God through Jesus, give control of your life to God through Jesus so you may avoid the judgment of God and you may enjoy the goodness of God. But to say the kingdom of God is near is to acknowledge it is not yet fully present. And the challenge comes in the waiting The challenge comes in that in-between time. When your excitement and your anticipation and even your faith threaten to waver or to wane. When the joy and the hope that flooded your soul when you first gave your life to Jesus begin to be tested by the passing of time and the grinding, wearisome reality of life in a broken and fallen world. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. When that which you wait for expectantly, that which you hope for longingly is drawn out and delayed over time, the heart has a tendency to become worn down with waiting. When you hope for a very long time and you still don't see what you're hoping for, the effect can be quite severe and the heart can become sick. Many people give up hope entirely. They just quit hoping altogether. They reason if they never get their hopes up, they never get their hopes let down. But their efforts to protect themselves from the pain of disappointment, they sentence themselves to the pain of hopelessness. Other people exchange their hope. They turn it in for something else. They trade it in for something different. They exchange hope for bitterness. They exchange hope for resentment. They exchange hope 
for melancholy or sarcasm. If you dare express hope in their presence, you will instantly be met with an insult or a cut or some kind of snide comment. Still others replace their hope. They move it from one thing to another, from, from God or from the church or from reliance on the Holy Spirit to something they believe is more trustworthy than what they'd previously been hoping in. They replace hope in God with hope in science. They replace hope in God with hope in human goodness or human evolution. They replace hope in God with hope in themselves and their own tenacity and hard work and willpower. They replace hope in the community of faith, the community of the local church, with hope in independence and isolation. They replace hope in the presence and working of the Holy Spirit with hope in their own efforts and their own strategies and their own plans. And I bring all of that up this morning because as Advent people, as John the Baptist sorts of people, a people called and commissioned to hope for the coming kingdom of God, called and commissioned to look for the coming kingdom of God and to help get people ready for the coming kingdom of God, it is especially important that you wait well. And because I recognize the very real potential for you to stumble while you wait, for you to stumble over the wait. I know it's a danger for John the Baptist types because it actually happened to John the Baptist. You can read all about it in this week's gospel lesson in Matthew chapter 11. Verses 2 and 3 say this, When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is the timing of the question. The Bible says, when John heard what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, should we expect someone else? Which sort of begs the question, what had Jesus been doing that John would have heard about? The Bible is gracious enough to tell us. At this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he was healing the blind, he was healing the lame, he was healing the deaf, he had cleansed lepers, he had healed a paralytic. He'd healed a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, spent every penny she had on every doctor she could find to go to. He'd driven demons out of people, and he'd even raised a little girl from the dead. And the Bible says when John heard all that, he sent word to, word to find out if Jesus was the right one. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist heard about all the healings. He heard about all the miracles that Jesus was doing. And he wondered if he'd fingered the wrong guy. I believe there are at least two reasons John struggled to wait well at this point in his life. Because he was definitely beginning to wait poorly. First, John heard about the healings and the miracles that Jesus was doing. But the truth is, John was looking for something else. He'd been waiting for something else, hoping and longing for something else, something much greater than individual miracles, something more lasting than individual healing, something more all-encompassing and uh, permanent than individual acts of kindness or compassion for the poor. John had been looking and hoping and waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God, for the restoration of national Israel, for a world of truth and justice and peace, a world of goodness and holiness where absolutely everybody loved and feared and honored God. 
And when that hope kept getting deferred, he became disheartened and discouraged. And John began to wait poorly. He began to wonder if he should put his hope in someone else, if he should stop hoping in Jesus, stop hoping in the gospel, stop hoping in the Bible and the things of the Bible, stop hoping in the church and the, and the things of God and start hoping in something else. He wanted the kingdom of God to come. He wanted the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wanted it done right now. And when the thing he longed for did not come quickly, when he was tested in the waiting, John began to wait poorly. He began to be tempted to put his hope somewhere else. He began to be tempted to look to someone else for some sort of solution outside of what you find in the Bible, outside of what you find in the gospel. A solution that's quicker, a solution that's more forceful, a solution that's more tangible, maybe a solution he could control himself. If I was honest with you, I tell you, I believe an awful lot of people are doing the exact same thing today in politics. They're looking for somebody to shake things up. We need somebody to shake things up. To be honest with you, that's what millions of people wanted from Donald Trump. Donald Trump will shake things up. And right now today, millions of other people are wanting Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren to get in there and shake things up. They're looking for somebody to shake things up. Change, change, give us change. We need change right now. The truth is, the world really needs change. And Jesus came to bring that change. But the change Jesus brings begins inside of you. One day at his return, he'll bring that change all around you. But do not expect, listen to me, do not expect that kind of change. Do not expect kingdom of God kind of change without Jesus the king at the heart of it. And be very careful, listen to me, be very careful about clamoring and calling for that kind of change from politicians and political leaders. That cry for that kind of change from politicians cost the Romans their republic. Later, it gave the world their Fuhrer. Martin Luther once noted that when the crowd cries out indiscriminately for change, they often replace flies with bees. And if they continue to cry out for change after that, in the end, they replace bees with hornets. Be careful of clamoring for change from politicians and political leaders, especially the change only Jesus can bring. John the Baptist began to wait poorly and consider putting his hope somewhere else. John's first issue had to do with timing and impatience. He was so frustrated by, Je by what Jesus wasn't doing yet that he could not rejoice in what Jesus was doing right then. He was so focused on the one thing he'd hoped for, the one thing he wanted, the thing he wanted and waited on that Jesus wasn't doing, that he could not get excited for the guy Jesus healed of leprosy, or the paralytic who could now walk, or that lady who was healed after 12 years of bleeding. He couldn't even get excited for the guy who got his daughter back from the dead. And I wonder if there's anybody here this morning guilty of pretty much the same thing. You're so focused on what God's not doing for you, on what the church is not doing for you, 
on what you're not seeing yet, what you're not getting yet, that you are constantly missing what God is doing. Yeah, it's cool he healed your grandma, but he still hasn't healed my sister. I got to be honest with you. If you can't rejoice for someone else while you're waiting for something from God, you're not waiting well. For what it's worth, I believe the second reason Jesus was tempted to move, uh, John was tempted to move on from Jesus and look for somebody else was even more personal than the first. If you look again at Matthew 11, 2 and 3, it says, When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And I want you to notice that John was in prison. He preached on the coming kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy where wrong things are made right and true justice and righteousness and goodness reign where broken things get mended, poor or fed, weak or made strong, the meek inherit the whole earth, where high and lofty and proud things are brought low and low and humble things are raised up. He'd preached it and he'd prayed it and he'd believed it and he'd longed for it and now he was languishing in Herod's prison. And listen to me. If you think it's hard to wait well in general, it is much harder to wait well in prison. When things are worse than you'd expected. When the brokenness and evil of the world move from being a theological position to being a personal experience. John went from waiting for the kingdom of God to come broadly, for it to come for him. He went from crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, to O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom me from Herod's cell. There can be no doubt. The more personal the pain of the wait, the harder it is to wait well. Thankfully, it appears that just one word of encouragement for, from Jesus was all it took to set John free and restore his heart to a place of hope and faith in Jesus. I believe that's because, really, deep down, John knew how things were going to shake out. If you look again in Matthew 3, it speaks of John as a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And I want you to notice that John's was a voice calling in the desert. A voice calling in the desert, a voice calling in the wilderness, a voice crying out in dry and lonely and difficult places. The Greek word here used for desert literally means a lonely, solitary, desolate place. And here's the point. This side of the fullness of God's kingdom will often involve difficulty and challenge and pain. This side of the fullness of God's kingdom will often feel like a desert. But the Lord wants you to prepare for his coming. The Lord wants you to get ready for his coming. He wants you to look for and anticipate his coming even while you're in desert places. Even while you're still in hard places. The kind of places you'd rather not be. The kind of places you'd never choose for yourself. The kind of places where it's honestly hard to wait well. Last night, we hosted 160 or so people who find themselves right now in places I simply cannot 
honestly imagine. Maybe this morning you're here bodily in this room, but in your heart, you're in a desert place. Things aren't at all what you imagined they would be, they would be for you at this stage in your life. They're not what you thought they'd be in your body or in your family or in your marriage or in your business. But that's exactly the kind of place God sends his messengers and God sends his message. The voice of one calling in the desert. Get ready. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Turn to Jesus. He knows exactly where you are. And he's willing to meet you in the desert. He's willing to come there and meet you. He's willing to come right here this morning and meet you right here this morning, wherever you are in your heart wherever you are in your mind, to put his kingdom inside of you, a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. And one day, if you'll, if you'll turn to him, he promises to change your desert forever. So I close this morning like I did last week with another glimpse of the coming kingdom of God that God gives us through the prophet Isaiah. Last week, we looked at last week's Old Testament lesson from Isaiah 11. This week's Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 35. This is what the Bible says it will be like when Jesus returns and brings God's kingdom in all its fullness. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and bloom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. When Jesus returns and brings the fullness of God's kingdom with him, the dry and parched and desolate places will rejoice and be glad and burst into bloom. But listen to me. Just like last week's prophecy wasn't really about animals, this week's prophecy isn't really about land masses. A few verses later, Isaiah says, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. And while all that may very well literally happen at the coming of the kingdom of God, I assure you, this prophecy is far more about dry and parched and desolate people than it is about dry or parched or desolate lands. The Lord sent John the Baptist to preach the message in the desert, in lonely, solitary, desolate places, so he could bring his good news to people in lonely and desolate and solitary situations. So the message rings out, if you're dry or broken or lonely, I have good news for you. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus has already paved the way. Jesus already has already paid your admission price. You just need to turn to him. To give control of your life to Jesus. And when he comes with all this kingdom stuff, you can be a part of it. No matter how dry your life has been up until then. No matter how parched, no matter how barren, no matter how sad or lonely or broken, no matter how ugly or sinful your life may have been, Jesus can make it right. Jesus can make it clean. Jesus can make it beautiful and good. When the kingdom comes in all its fullness, this is the promise of God for you. So again, speaking of this coming kingdom, Isaiah says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
So if you're weak or feeble now, do not fear and do not lose heart. Your God is coming. He is coming to save you. Don't lose heart in the waiting. He's coming. And when he does, the Bible says, then. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the desert and streams in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. On the day when Jesus comes, all these things will come with him. There will be no more blind. There will be no more lame. There will be no more deaf or hurting or lonely or barren. Parched and barren and desolate lands, not to mention parched and barren and desolate lives, will be transformed in an instant. Change in the twinkling of an eye. But in the meantime, listen, in the meantime, we must wait. And I pray that you wait well. Don't let your heart grow weary. Don't let your heart grow sick. To wait well is to wait patiently, refusing to look for another to look for another Savior, to look for another plan, another way outside the gospel, another way outside the Bible, another way outside the, the church. To wait well is to wait in faith, trusting God, believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, to wait in faith. Listen, listen to this. To wait in faith is to wait believing the kingdom of God has already come in part and is now already residing inside of you. That means to wait well, to believe the kingdom has come in you. Jesus, the kingdom of God is within you. To believe that means to wait well in faith, means to wait actively. It means to look for ways to love God and love people, to bless people, to serve God and to bless people, to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in someone's life, to tell somebody about Jesus, to get somebody else ready for the coming kingdom, to share the gospel and bless and serve and help a broken, hurting world. To wait well is to wait actively. It's to pray for signs and glimpses of the kingdom of God to break through right now in this world, to break through right here in the meantime. To wait actively, to wait well, means to lay hands on the sick and ask for miracles and signs and wonders right here in the meantime. Because to wait well means to wait in faith, to wait actively, and it means not to give up on anything you find in the Bible. Because you believe it's all true. So get ready. The kingdom of God is near. Prepare yourself. The kingdom is coming. I got to stop and back up for just a second. Because there are people, there are people who part of what they gave up on waiting for was to see miracles, signs, and wonders, to see the move of the Holy Spirit, to see people heal when they lay hands on it, to see gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They, they gave up on that, they quit waiting. They started trusting in something. Well, we'll just plan better. We'll do more activities. That's not waiting well. That's not waiting in faith. To wait well for the coming fullness of the kingdom is to believe the kingdom is right now if inside you in part. That the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead, dwells in you by grace through faith. And so we ask, and we pray, and we believe. We can't conjure, we don't try, but we do believe. So get ready, the kingdom of God is near, prepare yourself, the king is coming. Jesus, the promised son of God, Jesus, the savior of the world, Jesus, God in human flesh. Be strong, 
Do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He will come with holy recompense. He will come with holy restitution. And everything that's been done wrong will be made right. The desert and the parched land will be, be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. And, and I would love to see that in the Sahara, but I would rather see it in people. Get ready. The king is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. He's coming to dry and desolate places, and he will meet you there. In the meantime, as you wait well, be a voice for the coming king. Be a voice in the desert calling people in the desert. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Get ready for the Lord and get people ready with you. That's what Advent people do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. As we always thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, we believe it's all true. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe you do what you say you do. We believe one day soon, Jesus is coming back to set everything right and to usher in the fullness of the kingdom of God that we have tasted of and seen is good. Grant us the faith and the courage to live right now as Advent people, people who believe the kingdom of God is within us and trying to work its way out of us as we await Jesus' return. Make us a people. Make us a voice in the desert, a voice calling to people in the desert. Even when we're in our own desert, Lord, may we wait well, patiently, faithfully, and actively. Make us the people you've called us and created us to be. And use us to advance your kingdom and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.